0: This is Agency Side, telling the stories of starting, growing, and selling digital agencies. Sponsored by Natriller.com, the CRM system for SEOs and digital marketers. Now, here's your host, Rob Carey. I'm joined today by Tim Grice, the CEO of Connective3, a digital marketing agency based in Leeds. Welcome to Agency Side, Tim.
1: Hey, Rob. Good to be here.
0: Now, I believe you started Connective 3 in 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and what services you offer?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. We started in in October, uh, launched the business 2019, and we launched it as a a digital performance agency. So anything that goes into digital marketing, digital acquisition, any skills, whether it be SEO, whether it be content, whether it be content marketing and PR, um, or even all the paid media services, the idea behind the business was to bring them all together in one place to share their expertise and data and, and genuinely work together to deliver uh, for our clients. So that's that's how we, we launched the agency back in 2019 in October. And, and the whole idea of the agency is to have one digital performance, every specialist area coming together to deliver a result.
0: And who are the founding team and the shareholders behind the company?
1: So, a little bit of a background to this. So, before I started Connective Three, I was with Branded Three. That was a company owned by Vin and Patrick Altoft, who was fairly well known in the uh, in the SEO space anyway. And essentially, Connective Three is, is a re collaboration of myself with Vin and Patrick. And we are the, the core shareholders in the business, along with some minor shareholders based, based on, as I said, the people that we've brought together to make up the management team. Um, and they're the best people i've worked with over the years to to head up the core functions in the business
0: and as you said Brownie three is an agency which was acquired a, a while ago and that was acquired by a company called st eyes for 10.7 million pounds so i'm guessing it had around sort of three million pounds revenue how is connective three doing is it close to that kind of level and uh, how are you doing it sort of building up your client base
1: yeah, so when Prada 3 sold, it was about 4.2 million, I think, revenue, about 50, 60 people, if I remember rightly. Um, and that was grown pretty much from two people between 2009 and 2013 when it when it was acquired by St. Ives, like you say. Connecting 3 has got off to a, a massive start, basically, beyond what we expected. Uh, we're just... Over 40 people now with a few places to fill, which will take us to 50 this side of March. And in terms of revenue, we're getting there. I don't want to be too specific, but about 75% of the work to rebuild, I guess, what we had at that time. So, and that's in 15, 16 months. So it's been beyond what we expected when we first started this venture and went into it. And I, I can't really tell you why that's happened, but it just seems to be a perfect storm of people and businesses moving in and investing more in digital. Uh, So we've we've just seen an influx of of inbounds and referrals, obviously based on the the legacy business that we had in Branded3 and people really wanting to start to double down on their digital investment. And I know the pandemic's been terrible for many, many people, but for us, it's certainly, I think, helped helped our growth over the last 12 months.
0: My impression of Branded3 was it was very much a SEO-centric agency, it had digital PR and offered a few other services, but SEO was at its core, whereas Connective 3 looks more like sort of an, an all-rounder, a full-service agency. Were there any lessons that you learned from Branded3 where you've actually changed Connective 3 to adapt to that and to offer different services?
1: Oh, God, yeah, tons. And lessons I've learned personally in, in running the businesses as well. Yeah, Branded3, it was, it was an SEO and content marketing agency. The biggest functions in the business were the, the SEO strategy and what you would now call digital PR. Obviously, back in the day, link building and and usually working with bloggers to pick up loads of links. But yeah, Brand Three was it, it hung its hat on that proposition and, and that kind of and we took that to market. It was great because you were you were uber focused and therefore everyone knew what you were about and what you were there to deliver as as a business. So it, it was very good for getting very specific leads into the business and being very clear about what you're going to deliver for them. I think if you're looking to grow and scale a business, the challenges with being so specialist are that it minimizes your growth. If you, if you only service one area and there is a huge drop-off in that area, whether it's through interest or industry changes or just generally people moving budgets around, um, you become quite susceptible to big, to big revenue losses and therefore fluctuating. Uh, revenue. So as you're trying to grow your business year on year, it makes it extremely difficult. Uh, and as you'll know, Rob, it's very easy to switch an SEO agency out. You know, for a company to do that, there's no real setup or anything that you need to pass over, really. Uh, you can move SEO agencies fairly simply and smoothly. Whereas if you are working with a business across multiple digital channels and you're handling data and um, media spend and strategy, as well as the organic side of the business, it becomes a much stickier proposition when working with clients. And it also gives you the scope to deliver so much more for that client as well and and get the areas working better together. But that's the key lesson in terms of business model. Having said that, if your aim is not to grow and scale it, Beyond a certain level, then specialist, you know, it's hard to be really because it's so specific and so so clear in terms of your proposition
0: and what you bring into the market. Moving from a SEO agency into more of a full service agency, have you experienced challenges with competing against a whole new beast in terms of companies like Mediacom and Ogle V and Havas Group? You know, these large worldwide full service agencies that will probably be competing for the same business or are you finding that companies are looking for something fresh and new and that's why they're going with Connective 3?
1: I think yeah I mean it's a funny one really I mean we are kind of joined up and therefore it does put you head to head with I guess bigger in terms of size competitors but we are finding a little bit of a niche for ourselves I guess with companies that aren't spending multi-million pounds uh, every month on their media. But are still with the bigger agencies for whatever reason, scale, cost efficiency, whatever that might be, but not really getting the strategy and service that they should be getting. So actually, it's, it's almost playing to our advantage the fact that we have a, a smaller, more agile team, but with big agency experience and brains, so they can deliver that strategy, understand how the different platforms work, understand how to use all the data to to optimize and create efficiencies. So we are finding almost a little niche in that market where the bigger agencies can't actually compete with us because they just cannot be uh, as agile, they can't be as quick to make changes and strategy updates, um, and they can't, they just can't do it for the same price either. So when it comes to that direct competition, we've had a few clients come from the big network agencies, and we've just been able to literally 100% increase in performance because it's just not been had the right attention at the bigger agency because their budgets weren't at the right. Right level. So, so yes, I think there is a niche there for still big spending, well known brands to get better out of a smaller, more focused performance agency.
0: So would you say that Connective 3's target client base is in between FTSE 100 and SME, like the companies that kind of fall through the middle there where they're not big enough to really justify going with one of these huge organizations, but also they're large enough to have probably a five-figure budget to spend each month on their digital marketing
1: yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, of course, we'd love to work with any client across any area that wants to and any size that wants to deliver seriously rapid results in terms of performance. But yeah, I do think we can service that area, particularly on the paid media side, a lot better than the bigger agencies. To be honest, we find we work with all kinds of shapes and sizes of businesses. It could be um, we could be working direct with the owner of, of a business, we could be working with a small marketing team, it could be a A well-known big brand, FTSE 100, currently on our client list, or it it could be a much smaller business but with big digital ambitions. And as long as we feel like the clients that we work with are bought into delivering the results and are investing at a serious level to do that, then we will look at what options you know, we, we can have with them to service that account. I think it becomes challenging when you speak with businesses and clients that don't have a realistic budget for their ambitions, and then we would struggle to work with with, with those businesses, really. We're not in the market to just take whatever fees we can and deliver what we can based on that fees. We, we genuinely want to deliver some growth for clients because that's how we retain and, and grow them.
0: And when you're winning clients, is it where you're pitching for, say, SEO and then you try to acquire each one of the other services that they're outsourcing to agencies? Or are you going into for pitches and saying, we're going to handle all of your digital marketing spend for you? It depends what the the
1: clients come to us for, really, in the brief. If you'd have asked me this six months ago, Rob, I'd have said that typically speaking, the area that people come to us for is uh, digital PR and content marketing. Uh, we're fairly well known for it we have a legacy in it uh, and that area of the business is probably about 50 percent of what we do so what we tend to do is obviously win projects creative projects on that side turn those creative projects into seo retainers and then look at how we can then work with the paid areas the cro data analytics huge for us at the minute so we we kind of build them that way however since being in december i'd say we must have seen five to eight briefs come in for full digital services through paid organic through to creative and and a lot more inquiries coming in around data analytics and attribution it just seems to be and again i think that's part of people getting on top of their digital strategies but also wanting to understand what the roi is so that they can create the business cases needed to get the investment from the business so it's a bit of both but we will service a client across any area on its own but what we try and do is we've created a model where we can benefit from the expertise and knowledge of all the areas coming together typically my experience has been with with any agency i've worked with from working with Branded Three as a specialist or working with the st ives group which is now kin and carter which is a bigger network agency areas and specialists just do not work together and there's two reasons for that one is the people just do not want to integrate and work together, and friendly and secondly they just will not share their data across the different areas so we're trying to build a culture within connective three of people who will work together and that's we will not hire anyone unless they have that attitude and will share their data Um, and because of that we just feel we can deliver a bigger result even if we are working on a single area which is probably again about 60 percent of what we do is is channel specific
0: And your agency is based in Leeds, which for some reason is quite a hotbed, especially within the SEO industry with a lot of agencies based there and also a lot of well-known people uh, within the SEO space. Why do you think it became such a hotbed for the digital marketing industry when it's kind of a relatively small city in the UK in terms of GDP? It's digital marketing output seems to be huge in comparison.
1: Yeah, it is. It's huge. And I, I don't really know 100% why. I guess I can all, put, all I can put it down to really is there's been a lot of people over the last 15, 20 years with this entrepreneurial ambitions in that area or out of the universities in that area who've really sort of caught hold of SEO more than anything and, and understand how to use it, how to build uh, businesses off the back of it, and how to... You know, consult with businesses to to develop their SEO strategies. It just seems to be a hotbed for talent. And over the years, the bigger agencies have attracted more and more talent. Those people have gone off and created their own agencies or gone off to consult. Just being constant growth over the years, if you look at the original agencies that were set up, I don't include branded three in that. It peaked at about 80 people, but you have your, you had your epiphanies, your sticky eyes, your search labs, You know, 100, 200 people per agency, all focused on SEO and PPC. And they've just developed talent through their agencies that have gone off and, I guess, recreated it under a different agency or for themselves. I think it's just been that few entrepreneurs got together, developed those businesses, attracted talent, and that that talent has obviously gone off and, and, and regenerated itself.
0: Because I think Branded 3 is a perfect example of capitalism in action, really, because as soon as Branded 3 sold, all of these new investments and agencies started forming. Either people from Branded 3 invested in other agencies, or the experience that they got in Branded 3, they then moved into creating their own agency. And on previous episodes, we had Rise at 7, which uh, Carrie and Stephen founded, who were former Branded 3 colleagues of yours. And I believe that Patrick also invested in a number of different agencies, including Ford Baker, which is a Amazon marketing agency, which we had on a previous episode as well. So I kind of see that this is a perfect example for other agencies that are planning to sell this opportunity to then build new agencies because of it but was there any resentment there from St. Ives in terms of you creating this new agency almost in the mirror of the previous Branded 3 agency has there been any communication with them regarding that?
1: No real communication I don't think there's any resentment certainly not at a business level Branded 3 was a great business and I I loved every minute of working there but I think the wider vision for St. Ives, Kin and Carter uh, was to move into more digital transformation and not so much to be specialized in digital acquisition or digital marketing in, in brand Three's instance. So as a business, Brand3 was merged into another company within the group called Edit, and it just wasn't the focus, Rob. So I don't think when, you know, whether it was Steve and Carrie or, or myself and the team at Connected3 broke off to start again, I don't think I don't think there was really not at a business level any resentment because I think the direction Ken and Carter were going in, there's just no conflict there anymore. They just I guess they're not investing in that area, so I I genuinely don't think there is any resentment. I certainly hope not.
0: And could you tell us a bit about your background, Tim? Because I think you was in Branded3 for over a decade in the end. Did you have any SEO positions before that? And what was the process in terms of Patrick Ortoft handing over the head of search and the the management roles onto you at Branded3?
1: yeah it was it was a complete roller coaster so i guess my background is really strange one funnily enough we have a thing in connected Three where everyone delivers their career stories and then passes it on to the next person that joins we have a book that we're creating but my background is essentially i i didn't know what i wanted to do for a long long time um i ended up at uni doing a law degree i thought that would be a good career but found myself bored doing it to be completely honest and i was a poor student at the time needed to make some money and fell into really from searching online, building websites, uh, creating affiliate websites, doing AdSense. And um, before you knew it, I was making you know, an okay full time salary or part time salary from, from doing this kind of work. And it was just so, it, it was just absolute chance that um, I got speaking to someone through the university that owned the business that had no idea about SEO or PPC. And I started working as a consultant, and I built a small consultancy business from there, helping out with SEO and PPC. Um, Nothing like what goes on now. It was a different time. It was back in 2006, 2007, so things were very different. That's how I got into the SEO space, taught myself how to code, although I couldn't do that now. I've definitely forgotten that over the years. But it just so happened that... Through social channels, through SEO, I came across Patrick because of BlogStorm, which was his blog at the time, which he ran alongside Brander3, and I knew I needed experience. If I wanted to be serious about this area, I needed real experience with bigger businesses and understanding how they were investing and using SEO, Um, and I had a chat with Patrick. The rest is history, really. I I started with Patrick there. There was pretty much three of us at the time uh, doing SEO, and the next three years saw us win 50 to 60 clients, hire 50, 60 people. And as the business grew, Vin and Patrick's ambition was always to exit and sell. And in 2013, that time came. And from that point on, I worked with Vin and Patrick to essentially take charge of the business and lead it forward in terms of the the direction we wanted it to move in. And that took about 18 months to two years, maybe a little bit more. And then I was announced as CEO, but it was quite a long process of handing over bits and bats about the business. The Patrick side of it was very much new business and strategy and talking. SEO and dealing with clients. And I've been doing that for years and years. The bit I found harder, I would say, taking over the business was bin side and actually operating a business, running the finances, reporting back to a PLC was so time consuming. Yeah, very different to the role that I've played before. So there was a lot to learn, but it was so much fun, Rob. You know, hiring so many people and working with so many experts and developing them over the years, including Stephen Carey. It was just an amazing experience that I'm hoping to recreate with Connective
0: 3. And what was the process for starting Connective 3? Did you find the clients before you announced the name of the agency or announced that you were launching this new venture? Or did you launch it first and then waited for those clients to then come to you?
1: So yeah, it was because of my board level position I held at Kinnan Carter. I had a twelve month notice period, which I negotiated down to nine months. So I had a long time off. I guess I couldn't do anything openly, but work on things in the background, including the the name of the agency and I guess what the proposition would be. But we agreed an investment amount with VP Ventures, which is Ben and Patrick's investment company now. So to get us started, we had to think about the type of people we'd want to bring this vision together in terms of the connected approach. So we had, a, we had a look through, I guess, who we'd worked with over the years and, and if uh, we could bring them on board because the, a lot of them held very senior positions. Some of them, obviously, I'd worked with with Brandon 3 and Edit. So it would be coaxing them away from a, a high paid senior, senior role to, to start again, essentially, but also from a legal point of view, would it be possible as well? So there's a lot of work to do a, a, around that. But obviously, we've got a lot of contacts and a lot of people we've spoken to over the years. And as we got closer and closer to the launch date, there were already businesses asking questions. We'd work with them, some that we'd never worked with for, for years um, and some that we'd never worked with before at all. So when we actually started Connecting 3 in October 2019, we were lucky enough to have a handful of clients that started with us and are still with us to this day. Um, and doing really well so really great for that but it gave us a bit of a platform to have the business at least ticking over in them first few months so yeah but we went all out offensive on marketing and sales so it wasn't long before we were we were pitching and, and, and winning work but in the first 60 days i think we picked up another few clients on top of that so yeah it was uh fun
0: you mentioned investment just there I was wondering if you thought that that investment was required or was it just that you wanted Patrick involved in the new agency because if you already had those clients lined up would they have been able to actually finance the start of the agency or do you think the investment gave you kind of a, a safety net for you?
1: Yeah it's like you said there was two sides to it absolutely wanted Ben and Patrick involved uh, they've got the experience of doing it before they have contacts and profile so Yeah, it accelerated our growth as well. But yeah, like you say, you have a safety net, a pot of cash that even though you can just about cover your month-to-month bills, there was investments, ironically now, in a big office in the middle of Leeds, which we dined up to with the view that we would scale up. So it's 4,000 square foot office, investment in doing that office up. There was uh, some senior people we brought in from day one as well. Uh, which would have been uh, a struggle to cover out of the the month-to-month revenue we were making. So we used the investment to bring them in and grow their areas. So yeah, I guess the investment and Vin and Patrick's involvement, it just gave us a platform to accelerate the growth of the business beyond what we could have done by trying to pick up clients and and grow, I guess, organically as we went along. So it gave us a real step up and head start and allowed us to act and think like a, a much bigger agency from day
0: one. I'm guessing that you have a several-year contract for your office in Leeds, the 4,000-square-foot office. What are your plans with that office going forward after COVID-19? Are there plans to make Connective 3 a remote first agency, or do you think that it's essential for everyone to be working in the same office as soon as possible?
1: Uh, We signed up for 10 years with a five-year break. It seemed pretty standard at the time. And I think, Rob, I'd still done it, even knowing what has now happened. Maybe slight differences on the contract, but I'm a big believer in in collaboration and teams working together. Uh, If you remember what I said, 50% of the business is, is creative. So that spans digital PR, social media, content marketing, and even design and creative for the paid side. So it's just essential that those teams talk to each other, collaborate and push ideas around. But I think that's even across the business, that's really important too. So I don't think we'll ever go to 100% remote. I also think with agencies, and I was thinking about this just the other day, You know, why do some agencies grow and some agencies don't or struggle to? And agencies are people, businesses, and culture is huge when it comes to the people side of the business and generating the right culture and the right way of thinking and dealing with each other and with clients. And I think remotely that becomes a lot more difficult. I mean, we've had a really good go at doing it and we, we have plans to do more but I just think it is so much more difficult. So I think for us, we're a big believer in the office and the culture that you can generate there. However, we do recognize the benefits of a more flexible approach. Not that we weren't flexible before, to be honest, but we will probably run a a 3-2 model in terms of being in and out of the office in favor of being in the office eventually. And reasons for that are the benefits of being able to take days, work from home, the flexibilities in your life, people with children that might need to run around and do certain things, but um, also it gives us uh, an opportunity to scale with without with less cost. I guess we're looking at it from a pure financial point of view because we don't need as big a space. We, we've already technically outgrown the office that we invested in. If we have to have everybody in five days a week, because you can have about forty-two people, I think, in the office, forty-two desks as it stands. So it allows us to scale. And it allows people flexibility and we'll keep it in constant review. And who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic and how that's going to change things. So we have everything in place to work remote, but we, we believe in the office.
0: Yeah, I think office culture is a strange one, really, because when I started IEMA back in 2007, it was quite original for us to have beer fridges and pool tables and all these things that you see in uh, Google's headquarters and over in Silicon Valley. So it was kind of an attraction that brought people into the company, but it's kind of become standard now, I think, these days, where every agency has all of these like employee perks, like free lunches and things like that. So I think it's kind of become harder now to try and attract those employees and perhaps it's become less materialistic in terms of offering all these freebies to people and more about making those people feel more valued. So how do you think office culture has changed over the years and uh, what do you think is needed to attract the right people to your agency?
1: For us, when we were branded three, I guess you could say we didn't go down the typical agency route. It was a long time before we ever had anything like a beer fridge or a ping pong table or any of them usual sort of perks, even things like Lee vouchers and perk box and things like that. We just didn't have any of it at branded three. And everyone that worked there was there almost like a group of friends off their own back just trying to deliver the best possible seo for our clients and um and that's the kind of culture we have so it, it was very different back then how has it changed I, I think it's dependent on what kind of culture you want as an agency because different people want different things you have people that are very much financially motivated you have people that come in that genuinely maybe should come out of uni and want a new group of friends and and have a place they can come and socialize uh, you have people that want to get their head down and just deliver the best possible work and be involved in the most technical problems you can possibly get them in. So you have a mix of, of people, really. So I, I don't know. It, I, I would say the kind of culture you want to cultivate is purely dependent on the kind of business you want, you want to have. But I certainly don't believe that fancy pool tables, ping pong, wild outrageous conference rooms and things like that. I don't think that really adds to a culture in the sense of who you are as an agency I think it's just a nice to have I think the culture comes from how you feel about each other and how you work together and that might be a bit of a cliche thing to say but I genuinely do think that's that's about culture so you work around let me the culture that you want to have in the business and all the rest is is just nice nice to have.
0: A lot of the agencies that started in Leeds ended up opening a London office maybe that's only got sort of one or two salespeople people in or maybe it's got a whole consulting team But do you think that it's essential for an agency such as yours that's based in Leeds to have a London-based office, an office in the south of England? Do you believe there is kind of a north-south divide where the companies based in London wouldn't necessarily go for a company based in Leeds?
1: I think that does happen every now and again, not always, but we certainly have client conversations where it's almost essential to have a London office. When we were branded three, we had 60% of our revenue from London directly. And that's before we opened up the London office that we had. And that London office gave us flexibility to quickly see clients and develop the business more. So I think back then it was not necessarily essential but it, it, I think it helped us grow branditory within within London, having that presence and team of people that could go out and see clients and deliver the work. Is it going to be essential moving forward? Uh, I guess it depends how we come out of this pandemic. I do think if we do come out of it and the vaccines work and you know we, we get back to some kind of normality, i do think there will be still some businesses with an expectation that you have a London presence so I, I think we we will still very much keep london on the radar and it is somewhere we would like to have a presence even if it is remote or a we work situation
0: There seems to be more digital marketing agencies than ever in the UK now. In the old days, it used to be web design and development agencies that then said that they offer digital marketing and didn't do it very well. So it was quite easy to compete against them in a pitch environment, whereas now you could easily find hundreds of digital marketing agencies in the UK. So what do you think really makes Connective3 stand out in such a crowded marketplace?
1: Quite a few things, really. I, I guess the quality and, and the legacy of what we had at Branded tree So the people that work in and lead in these areas have been there, done it, delivered it, and they have masses of experience doing that. So so we have that kind of legacy and, and, and people from Branded 3 days delivering the work. So, you know, that they've tried and, and tested. I think speaking with a lot of businesses as well, the expectation now is that you don't just you don't just know SEO and are good at SEO. The expectation is that you can get to know their business and all the different elements that come together to deliver their growth and their ambitions and vision. And I think Connective Three, we have a senior group people and have made senior hires over the last year that understand not only SEO, and PPC and paid social and creative work, but they understand how to apply it in a way that makes sense to a business. And then also we have our proposition, which which means we look at our clients' digital marketing strategy and we have no bias towards a particular area. If, if paid isn't right, it's not right. If SEO isn't right and they need to invest in the paid media area, we, we have the the kind of data and people to be able to advise on that too so we're we're completely agnostic when it comes to advising on what the right
0: strategy would be you mentioned being embedded and integrated into your clients and when ima first started we used to actually sit in the office a few days a week so i would sit in the office of the motley four which was a, a financial comparison website And my other co-founder, Mike, would sit in the PokerStars office for a few days a week. We thought that was kind of novel and uh, sort of different as an approach to uh, go with an agency. But later down the line, I worked with Clarks, the shoe brand, and uh, they were doing a full website relaunch with Accenture, which is a huge company. And they were building out the website and they had their employees sitting at desks in the office for the full six month period of the build out. So I kind of realized that it's not something novel or new. It's just something that some of these larger agencies have a standard practice that if the client is big enough, then they will get their employees to work from that client's office. So that they're almost like an employee of that business. I was thinking maybe that is an approach which more digital agencies will be doing in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's something we did before. Obviously, we, we were locked down, um, and it's something we did at, at branded three. We we worked with TravelX, and we had someone pretty much in their office most of the week, uh, working with the teams and build, building business cases out, and and really understanding how how things worked. But yeah, I, I think I think it's essential. I mean, you you know as well as I do, Rob, that it's one thing knowing what to do. From a digital marketing point of view, and it's a completely other thing being able to push that through the business. Whether it's you don't have, they don't have the right development requirements, or it's not priority enough, or they don't understand that is priority, or the you can't get teams to agree in house. Whether the brand team won't agree with the, the marketing team or the procurement team, due diligence don't don't agree. Trying to get the teams internally to work together and understand the the outcome for each of them when you want to make a change or or employer strategy is critical because you can have the best digital marketing brain in the world but if you can't convince people and businesses to implement it then it's, it's pretty much useless. So I think getting to know the businesses and understanding really how they operate and working with them to justify what you're saying and not just saying it is on the money. Yeah
0: absolutely. Do you have any international clients yet and do you have any plans for international expansion or do you see the agency as UK focused?
1: Uh, We have international clients, particularly in the U.S., and that's a mixture of clients based there and clients that are U.K. businesses but have expanded operations into the U.S. And we have had discussions about expansion. I guess it's just fallen a little bit on the back burner because of everything that's happening now and how we do it. Uh, I've looked at it once before at Brand3 when we had some U.S. clients and to Chicago and New York in terms of officers and building out teams there. I would personally like to do it with Connected 3 at some point. We have enough clients out there to to justify it, there or thereabouts. It would just be logistically how we make that happen. But there are lots of things to think about. Uh, a lot of the content marketing, digital PR work we do out in the U.S. at the minute, we're delivering great, you know, brilliant placements. Lots and lots of links, fantastic results, all from the UK team, uh, and they're developing relationships with the journalists out there, and it seems to be working really well. So I guess the key thing will be how the pandemic moves in terms of client management and relationships, and I think the need will be then to look at potentially having someone out there who can manage that and go and actually sit face-to-face with the client as and when that happens. But at the minute, I could see us launching, all being well with the pandemic, something in the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Do you see any core differences between UK clients and US clients in terms of the amount they're willing to pay for their digital marketing or the way that they work or the uh, working relationship that you have with them?
1: I don't think so. No. I mean, We see a mixture. We see uh, companies that are undervaluing, same as we do in, in the UK, undervaluing the service areas and not investing enough. We see co- some companies that are investing obscene amounts of money into particularly SEO without really knowing what they are what they are getting for it but but at it's core, it's it's very similar in terms of working relationships how we deliver that up in terms of a strategy
0: because of your uh, heritage in branded 3 and your links to the SEO industry do you think connective 3 will be stigmatized as an SEO focused agency that also offers other services Or are you doing things to make sure that you are seen as very strong in all the categories that you work in?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always a challenge when you've been so strongly focused on one area. Uh, And it is still a big part of what we do. So it is a challenge. We are working hard to show how we're connecting all the areas together, particularly through data and data analytics that lends itself to paid more than it lends itself to organic, I would say. And we've hired some really heavy hitters into that team that can really, really deliver for clients, and they're generating some fantastic case studies. So yeah, I guess the answer to that is we're working really hard, although it can be challenging given our backgrounds, to make sure we're clear that actually we do, from a digital performance point of view, we can handle it all. And it's just a matter of pushing out the right thought leadership, pushing out the right case studies, and being clear when we talk to prospective clients that that we can actually do that. But I think like any business, you always have your stronger area or you have an area in the market that's growing faster than any other. And you use that to get in the door and then you can start talking to your clients about the other areas and the benefit in the way your agency works to deliver on them.
0: And what are your hopes, dreams and future plans for Connective3 over the next three to five years?
1: I love working with people. I love bringing people on, watching them grow, watching them develop. Uh, watching them progress within their roles. So I, I would want to, i make no apologies about wanting to grow a bigger agency. Over the next three to five years, I would like to see us at least treble in terms of our uh, headcount and revenue in the UK and start to look at opportunities and develop on opportunities, particularly in the US, potentially Australia, where we have clients as well, uh, and grow out that international side of Connective 3. Um, I'd also look, eventually like to look at complementary Uh, small acquisitions that can help us grow and help us deliver in in certain specialist areas of the business. Uh, What they are yet, I don't know. I've not started looking yet, but I think I would like to grow through acquisition as well as, as organic growth too. But yeah, international and acquisition, definitely things I would personally like to consider in the next three to five years.
0: If you could give a new agency founder one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: It would always be people. Depending on the vision, but if new agency founder that is ambitious and wants to grow, you have to have the right people to make it happen. People that can lead their areas as well as deliver the work, as well as talk to clients. And they're so hard to find. But without it, you're not going to be able to grow the agency. So start everything with doing everything you can to get the right people on board. And then a lot of the growth and the marketing and the sales kind of, to a degree, takes care of itself and it allows you to scale up and grow but if you can't get the people with the caliber that you need you're always going to be, be struggling so yeah do do whatever you can to get the people on board and figure out what it is they want to be able to join you
0: tim thank you so much for joining me today on agency side no problem thank you thank you for listening to agency side sponsored by netfiller.com Visit agencyside.fm to subscribe, read the show notes, and listen to previous recordings. Tune in again soon for our next episode.